from the Los Angeles Underground. It's time for your new favorite podcast, The Superiority Complex. It's like honey in your ear holes. Hey, welcome back to the podcast, everybody. In a real Halloween horror story, we lost our last episode. We had a nice little episode. We recorded. We had guest stars. Patrick stopped by. Justine stopped by. It was a great show. And then uh, this, okay, so let me explain this. I've had this recording device now for about 10 years. So it's, you know, it's way past its uh, shelf life for electronics. And it still records on an SD card. And no new SD cards will work on it. It has to be an older SD card. And I have one card that still works, and that card is slowly losing its, you know, you can only record on these things so many times. Right, Jake? And uh, so, I mean, for some reason, there's a, there is a spot. If I record a certain amount of hours, there's a spot I hit, and that spot on the drive is corrupted. So what I should do is just delete after every show and start afresh. But as we know, that is a pain in the ass, and we know two things. Number one, I'm lazy, and number two, I'm lazy. Or I'll forget to do it. So uh, we hit that spot last week. It was a great show. We all gave the movie uh, Horror Express uh, a six, so we got a triple six for Halloween, uh, the Devil's Area Code. So we didn't mean to do that, but yeah, that's what we did. So uh, watch Horror Express. How was your Halloween, boys? Did you have a nice? Uh, did you guys get dressed up and scare little kids? <laughs> I Not got exactly. dressed up and got dressed up and scared myself. Hey, I'll tell you what. The best. Uh, I was at my mom's uh, giving out candy, and uh, there was a family, and they had a little little kid, like a toddler little toddler-sized kid. He's wearing little overalls and little tennis shoes and stuff. And I said, hey, is that, uh, is he supposed to be uh, Mario? And uh, they go, no, not exactly. And I look up, and um, and the, the lady's wearing, like, this floral print dress, and the guy's wearing just, like, a a, a cardigan with, like, you know, his collar pop, poking through the cardigan. And uh, it didn't register with me immediately. And I said, oh, uh, who's he supposed to be? They go, oh, he's Danny from The Shining. We're dressed up as the family from The Shining. And they were. Oh, she found wow. <laughs> The woman had the floral print dress, the apron on, everything, the whole thing. And he had that. He looked, and as soon as they said it, it all made sense. He had like that maroon cardigan on or that oh, maroon uh, sweater on and everything. I was like, oh my God, that is genius. I was so mad at myself for not, uh, for not picking up on that. I was so mad at myself. Did- did the kid do the thing with the finger? No, I, w- I wanted him to. I wanted him to. Hello, Mrs. If I was, if I was that kid's parent, that said, you have to do the thing with your finger. <laughs> yeah, that would have given it away. But it was so perfect. I was like, you win, Halloween. They were like, they were like the second uh, family to come up to me. So I was like, these people won Halloween already. There's not even. It's not even a contest yet. We should have just given them the whole bucket. Here you go. <laughs> Here you go. You win. You, what's crazy is this year. We had a lot of older kids. It was a lot of like teenagers, like high school kids in huge groups, huge groups, like 20 at a that's time. A little, and that's I, a little intimidating. And they were, but they were all very uh, suspiciously polite. Like they were like, they were <laughs> going to come back and toilet paper the house later. What do you mean like, suspiciously? They polite. were just way too polite for a bunch of teenagers. You know what I mean? Oh, thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. I think like I'm Eddie getting, Haskell. I think I'm getting to that point now where I have a lot of gray. So they just think I'm an old man now. Mm, and, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm maybe. Not, yeah. 
I mean, I am an old man, but I'm middle aged old man, not old man, old man, not yet. Yeah, they're not gonna, they're not gonna eggs, they're not gonna eggs like, an old man's house. You're like not like John, you know. I'm old, no, but I'm no, not. you're. But I can, John, I consider you middle aged as well. I don't consider you. It's uh, the beard. People see the gray beard and they go, oh, you know. You want your senior discount? <laughs> you, go, you go to like drive through and get a burger. Would you like your senior discount? Yeah, sir? fuck yeah, I would. Oh, I, oh well, yeah. I said, oh, yeah. I know. The first time I'm like, oh, the gray beard, and then after that, I'm like, yeah, where's my discount? Yeah, and, I do it all the time. I get it all the time. I get people give hey, me, motherfucker. Yeah, I give you a senior discount. discount. Cool. I'm not. Fo- I'm not 55 yet, but I'll take it. Thank you. The best is at the movies. You know, they knock a few bucks off with the the discount at the movies. Right. They're not gonna know. These kids aren't gonna know. What am I gonna do? Show my mm. ID. Right. Yeah. One senior discount, please. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One early one early bird special, please. Yeah, one early burb. And uh <laughs> are you uh is there anything at the movies you got? Well John and I Jake, have you seen the preview for uh, we discussed this. Have you have you seen the preview for Godzilla minus one? Yeah, I did. It looked pretty cool. We I'm, might have to make I'm a kind f- of into it. Yeah, we might have to make a field trip. Uh let's do it. It looks beautiful. So is that a mo- you kind of answered is it a movie or a TV show? You say it's on the Godzilla channel, but is it a really going to be a theatrical oh, feature? Oh, 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 oh. So that Godzilla channel, they've been doing like stuff because Godzilla's 70th anniversary is coming up. Mm. So they've been doing little uh, little like 10-minute shorts. So they did that one with the Jet Jaguar that I sent you. Uh, Godzilla Minus mm. Zero is going to be an actual, it's an actual theatrical release. And it is basically a, another reboot. You know, they, re, they reboot that series Every so often they reboot it, and yeah, and this one takes place. What's crazy about this one is he looks like the modern Godzilla, mm-hmm. you know, uh-huh. but it takes place right after World War Two. Wow! So it's right after World. It. Yeah, it's right after World War Two. Uh, Japan is devastated from the war, and uh, here comes Godzilla to make things worse. And it looks insanely good. He, you know, it's a CG Godzilla, but. Uh, I feel like it's Toho. Is it still Toho? It's Toho Studios. uh, Yeah, Toho Studios. Um, And uh, Mario, can you tell me? Have they done anything? Has Toho done a Godzilla movie since? I don't know how much their involvement was with Godzilla versus Kong, but uh, have they done? Have they done a movie in Japan of Godzilla since Godzilla versus Kong? Not since Godzilla versus Kong, but after the American Godzilla, not the Matthew Broderick one, but the one with um, with uh, Scarlet Witch and Kick Ass. Uh, yeah. the 2000, what is that? 2016, 2000, when, when was that one? Um, no, 2014, I think they did Shin Godzilla in 2016, ah, which, which that's was it. also kind of a reboot. And that one, it's kind of a one-off if you, it's not really part of the continuity, but ah. it's kind of a one-off. But if you get a chance to see that, watch that, that is amazing. That is really, is really that well on done. DVD or is that strictly Netflix? Mm, it might, it's probably on DVD by now. Yeah. I would imagine it's on DVD. And was that kind of about the uh, the meltdown after after the uh, exactly after the hurricane? Exactly right. It was a it was sort mm. of a, an indictment of the Japanese government and their their lack of uh, quick response to the Fukushima disaster and et cetera, et cetera. The tsunami, right? That was the tsunami right, that right. that knocked that knocked out the nuclear plant, right? Right, 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 right. Yeah. Okay. It's it's all really right. all about so this you know what it is is it's. All these, it's it has no right being as interesting as it is because what it is, it's basically Godzilla shows up and then it's these endless scenes of just layers and layers of Japanese bureaucracy trying to deal with, you know, it, it's it's to the point where they're sitting in the room with like the military commanders 
and Godzilla's literally marching on the city, and they, they they have to work up the chain of command while the prime minister's sitting there until finally someone asks him, "Okay, do we have permission to fire? We have permission to fire. Do we have?" And then the prime minister says, "Yes, uh, I give I give permission to fire." Then back down the chain of command to the guys on the ground. It's one of those where they're wow. and, and it has no it has no business because it's just rooms full of people in like gray suits. And there's so wow. many people that after a while, you're just, it's a huge cast to keep track of, but you're so fascinated by the process. You're so, and Godzilla in this one is really interesting because he, he, what he does is he takes, he's basically a giant reactor. He's got a, he's basically, his, his heart is like I mean, a nuclear like that normally anyway. Right, he's like a nuclear reactor. And so what he has to do to survive in the water is he has to take the form, he evolves into like a, a fish, almost like a fish. So he comes wow. back out on land and then has to re-evolve into the Godzilla form we know. So he changes forms as the movie progresses until he's finally... So it really is a one-off. It is. It's crazy, though. But he is so destructively powerful in this one. His, his, uh, the, the beam, his, his, his atomic beam is nuts in this one. It's just insane how I think it's the guy who directed Evangelion, the the, the anime movies. That makes a lot of sense. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen so Evangelion what does that translate to yeah, Shin Godzilla. What does that translate I think it just to? means I think it just I think it means um shin, uh, shin in Japanese, I think it means new or or hold on. Hideaki Anno, yep, this also directed um yeah, Neon Justice Evangelion. He directed the both the movies for it. Also, uh, Shin Common Rider. Okay. All right, I've got to, I got to disconnect the phone here. Oh, you're, are you I've got are, to take, are you getting the echo? I just got to. Well, no, the the landline's ringing off the hook with spam calls. I don't know if you're really hearing that, but I've got to just take them all off the hook. Oh, he directed a uh, he directed a Miyazaki film, The Wind Rises. Oh, okay. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. Uh, Shin means new, so it's basically new Godzilla. It basically, means like a new Godzilla. Ah. Movie. Yeah. Uh, but if you get a chance, man, check it out. It is really good. And the Godzilla in that, um, in that film is, is insane looking. Cause he just looks, he's, he's got like open wounds where the, like the radiation is leaking. It's crazy. He looks, so alien. he looks so alien. Yeah. It's crazy. Good. It's really, really good. And he's so menacing because he's just kind of mindless, you know, he's kind of just a mindless, you know, force of nature running through the. Uh, and the the previous are Godzilla minus one, he's very much the same, uh, very much the same. Just kind of this force of nature. It's crazy because when you look at it, the the clothes are very like late forties, early fifties, because it takes place in that era. But you're seeing like a modern interpretation of Godzilla. So it's like if you if you CGI'd a a, a, a Godzilla into like the original movie, that's basically what it looks like. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this is not part of the continuity. Those last two or three Godzilla uh, this, movies. This, not part of that. No, no, no. This, this is new one. This yeah. new one. This new one. Uh, Godzilla minus one. No, this is a new. Uh, this okay. is a new take on reboot. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, we should go. Yeah, they go. They do that every <laughs> often. Every every about fifteen years, they just decide we're going to reboot it and just start over. Yeah. And. Um, you know, because when we so, were when we were kids, you know, it got kind of silly. He became he became kind of a kids movie kind of a thing, you know. Absolutely, right. yeah. Little yeah. kids and baby Godzilla and that whole deal. And well, they just ran. Um, it's odd that I don't have it, but they just ran the Japanese version of the original one without Raymond Burr. Oh man, that's Turner. Such, that's such a good movie. 
so it's somber. Such a strong movie. Yeah, it, it, somber is exactly right. I always tell people it's a different movie. Uh, without all the uh, exposition and Raymond Burr and all and cutting stuff out, it's really you, you hit it right on the head. It's kind of a it really gives it's a thinking movie. It's something that gives you something to think about. Right. It's not just a, gi- a giant monster movie. You know? it's, what's crazy about it is it's really Japan. You see this film really wrestling with the national psyche of having, mm. having been hit with the atomic bomb. That's really what it is. It's them trying to, it's, you yeah. know, it's, it's trying to work that out. It's like almost a, a catharsis. And it's so, got serious things on its mind. They really are trying to, yeah, you're right. They're trying to come to grips with what, what they just lived through. Right. I mean, when you think about it, what is that? 53? That's only about seven years after, right. uh, what is that? 54. There's, there's less than 10 like, years. Like, I think it's nine yeah. years. Yeah. Uh, there's that so great, they're still dealing with it. There's that great scene where he shows up on shore and they, you know, they're trying to stop him and the tanks and everything. But then there's this one scene where there's a mom and her kid like stuck in the street. And uh, mm-hmm. they're just crying. You know, they're gonna. Di- she knows they're gonna die, and the mom's just trying yeah. to comfort the 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 baby. And uh, you're really like, wow, they're not gonna make it out of that. There's no way they're gonna live because uh, you know Godzilla's just moving towards them. So if you watch the original, it is a different animal. It's very, very, very. It's not quite what the later Godzillas uh, really become. No, and I always tell people if you're gonna watch one. Watch that one because it's just not like the rest of them, you know. And I think it's the the being in black and white. I think it helps. I think it helps the mood. Absolutely. Yeah. uh, Yeah. It. uh, You know. It feels like a newsreel. Some shots will feel like a newsreel. You know. It's kind of like, to a lesser extent, it's like Night of the Living Dead. You get this feeling that you're watching some sort of like newsreel or home movie footage or something. Yeah. It's crazy. It's crazy how good it is. And then they really do a good job of setting it up where. You know, these ships are disappearing and the families are desperate to find out, like, what happened to their families on these ships. And um, it's really, I just rewatched it the other day. It's really, really good. Um, uh, I love that movie. So, yeah, yeah, it's great. And that was one they never re ran without Raymond Burr. I, it was years before I ever saw the original. Oh, Christ. I didn't see the original till the nineties because nobody ran it. You just, if you were in America, you were never going to see it. It was always going to be the Raymond Burr version. I I don't think I saw that until it was on DVD. It would have been maybe like the late nineties is the first time I saw it. It's a whole different opener. Yeah. It's a whole different experience. How serious that revelation. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited for, uh, minus zero. So we're going to have to go check that out. Let's do it. Let's take a, let's take a field trip. IMAX. IMAX buddy. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. If ever a movie was designed for IMAX. <laughs> right. We'll go see it at uh we'll go see it at Twin Pines Mall. <laughs> now I was telling before you came on, I was telling um Jake, uh, they are doing a special uh revival at uh special events at local theaters. They're gonna run uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Oh, you guys have to go see that. I know. I was thinking Mario probably has just had. He's so fed up with people quoting it. He doesn't yeah, want to go. I don't want to go <laughs> hang out with a room full of people quoting Monty Python because it's just going to be like. So get this. <laughs> so they're going to do like this two nights only. It's going to be everywhere. I think it's going to be like Twenty Hills and La Habra and everything. It's going to be kind of like a Fathom event. Now get this. They said some theaters will have a special room for the people that want to shout the lines back at the screen. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's one way to take care of that problem. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the problem with it is, and this is not so much you, John. This is not so much you. Oh, it's me. No, no, no. No, no, no. (laughs) It's the people that quote it like no one else has ever seen the movie. 
yeah. Those are I the people suppose. that get annoying. Those are the people that, yeah. that are annoying. Like, yeah, I've seen it too, buddy. Yeah, I know. I know. We, it's not, it's, yeah, we all, everybody's seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail. They quote it like it's some, like they're, like they're, like, like it's some movie that no one's ever seen before, you know? Like it's, there are a lot well, of people who haven't seen it though, to be fair. That is true, but I think that's more generational. Mm, when, when, it's when generational. I, yeah, when yeah. I was, when I was a kid and Monty Python was only like 15 years old, like in the mm-hmm. 80s, these people would quote it like they, like no one else had ever seen it. It's like, we've all seen it. We've all You know what it was? Originally, going way, way back, what it felt like when you ran across somebody who was uh, who who could quote it back at you, it was like a secret handshake. Right. I'm I'm talking like back in like seventy nine. At that point it wasn't quite like all over the place. And if so if you said something, you know, uh you know, if you quoted like the French Knight or something like that, or that you know, it is tis but a scratch. You know, it was almost like a secret handshake. Like, right. oh yeah, yeah, isn't that great? Right. But it's, now it's kind of like it's, and especially since spam a lot, it's kind of ubiquitous. Everybody's heard of it. Everybody knows it. Every, you know, backward and forward. And the other thing is, somebody quoting it is never going to do it as as perfectly as as the actors themselves. <laughs> right. Like, it's, right. It's like Young Frankenstein. I have to remind myself of that. It's kind of fun. To, to to banter those lines back and forth, but nobody's ever going to do it as well as as Marty Feldman and Gene Wilder. You know, you <laughs> just you just hit it on the head. I think what it is is it's usually it's not just the quoting; it's usually somebody doing a British a bad British accent. So and doing it poorly, exactly. It poorly, so yeah. if someone says werewolf, their wolf, I'm yeah. I'm less annoyed than someone just going, you know, a shrubbery. Like it's like no, you can't do it. Don't do it. Don't uh, right. Don't don't right. Exactly. There's even yeah. There's lines that would. There's lines that sort of survive in a vacuum better than other lines. You know. Right. I'm <laughs> such a really funny thing quote is, something <laughs> like don't quote something that everybody's quoted a million times. I, I feel like such an asshole when I talk about this because I feel like you know I'm like the gatekeeping nerd like hey, don't do that man. But it's just I I just only, get do, I, only do it if you do it right. Yeah, <laughs> I, I hate I I, I fought, but for some reason the Monty Python and the Holy Grail people. I, and I'm I love that movie. Don't get me wrong, I love it. I yeah, love it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah. The just, thing is, I have not seen. The thing I was thinking is, do I? You know, I've seen it a billion times. But I thought, well, I don't remember the last time I saw it on the big screen. It might have been. It might have been the seventies. The last time I saw it on the big screen, it might have been like you know, the last time I caught it, like at the New Art or something, you know, as a revival. So I thought, well. This would be different than just watching it for the billionth time on a right. DVD, you know. I just want to and go in the one with with the, the with the no no shouting back at the screen, mm. and then uh, are you sure? I mean, <laughs> I just think that's hilarious that they got. If they're not just joking, it sounds like they are going to have a couple scenes where if you, we have a special spot for the people that feel compelled to say the lines before they hear the lines. The thing I loved the best was uh, I went to a special screening of Young Frankenstein. And everyone was very respectful. Nobody's like yelling back at the screen. It was a sold out show at the Egyptian. And I was Mel with Brooks you. And Ann- I was oh, with okay, you. Okay, then. So you know what I'm talking <laughs> yeah. about. So you know that there's them behind us Mel Brooks and Ann Bancroft and Dustin Hoffman. And Dustin, and Dustin, Dustin Hoffman Brooks- called him an asshole from the. From the from That's the, right. That's right. From the seats. Do you remember what he said? After the movie, he said, um, it's like everyone's, he says, everybody in the audience is breathing at the same time. So you know that in their heads, they're doing the lines. They're in, anticipating the lines. Right. They're not shouting them out loud because the entire audience is breathing at the same rhythm. And he goes, wow, you know what that is. They know exactly what's coming next, like a piece of music. You know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> they're anticipating it. He says, he said, it's the craziest thing. It's so, it's, it's so, uh, 
it's so flattering because you've got this the entire audience is like just breathing as one you know that was a fun that was a really fun show because we got to see mel brooks mel brooks yeah. live and then we got to see uh uh Terry Gar was there. Uh, Kenneth That's Mar- right. Kenneth Mars was That's there. Right. Uh, That's right. I think Madeline Kahn had just passed away. Right. Uh, Gene Wilder wasn't there, but I think just about everybody else was there. Yeah. Uh, real and, quick. Uh, you, oh, go ahead, John. Yeah. No, go no, ahead. No, I was just going to say, remember, right right before the lights went out, somebody right behind us said, isn't this fucking great? And it was Dustin Hoffman. It was Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. It was Dustin yeah. Hoffman. <laughs> and then he called Mel an asshole. I remember that. He That's called right. Mel Brooks an asshole. <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, speaking of uh, Anne Bancroft, no, speaking of Madeline Kahn. Oh, you got to do your do the little thing with your uh, mic, John. I can hear it. Oh, uh, what do I do? I turn it off. Oh, I just unplug, unplug it, it and plug it back it. in. Yeah. All right. How's it? Jake looks good today, Anybody? man. Thanks. Isn't Fresh, look at freshly, him. freshly shorn. Yeah, I was going to say you got the you got a you got a low buzz cut. Mm-hmm. Love it. Did that take care of the problem? Yeah, you sound great. I was going to say, John, we were talking the other day. You called me, and uh, we were speaking of Marlena Dietrich. I watched a movie called um, uh, 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 Rancho Notorious. Rancho Notorious. With yeah. uh, Marlena Dietrich. And boy, oh boy, Madeline Kahn was so good uh, doing... I watched that movie, and I had a new appreciation for uh, Madeline Kahn and Blazing Saddles because she nailed it. She <laughs> nailed it. Uh, so if you ever want to watch a, a double feature of weird westerns, just a couple weird, but but just beautifully shot, like bright colors, early Technicolor, really really great. Watch that and watch a movie I watched yesterday called Johnny Guitar, which I had heard a lot of, <laughs> with the great Joan Crawford and her eyebrows, and um, <laughs> and uh, boy, whoever Nicholas Ray shot that, and the, the boy, there is a real emphasis on the color of everybody's eyes, even Ernest Borgnine's eyes. You can see, you know, he's got these kind of blue-green eyes. The way they shot that movie is everybody's eyes just pop, the way they lit that movie. And it's this really crazy melodrama. And uh, Mercedes, what is it, Mercedes McCambridge, who was the voice of the devil in uh, The Exorcist, she plays this real, boy, I've never rooted for for someone to get killed so hard in a movie. I was like, please. Please kill this character off. Uh, what a you, great! You got to be pretty rotten. You got to be pretty rotten for, to be, be rooting for Joan Crawford to not Right, you know? right, right. <laughs> you got to be really rotten, you know. <laughs> She's the bad guy, not Joan Crawford. <laughs> but boy, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, though. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not hugely familiar with a lot of Joan Crawford works. Obviously, she's kind of reached this cult status because of uh, Mommy Dearest and that. Mommy movie. Dearest, yeah. But boy, she is a commanding presence when she's on the screen. You're watching everything she's doing and everything she's saying, and uh, boy, she yeah. she really knows how to command that. Uh, she she knows like a lot of the stars in the '40s and '30s and '40s. She knows how to work that camera. She really does know how to to to. to and you know she she goes all the way back to the silent days. So by the time she's doing something like Johnny Guitar, she's been at it for like 30 years, and right. she learned from people like Lon Chaney how you hold the attention of the camera. And right. She's also one of those, she's also like Marlene Dietrich, and she knows exactly what the lighting is going to do. Right. She, those people would make friends with the lighting guy and the grip. and the, they, they, Those are the guys that, you know, your image is in their hands. So right. You, I know like Joan Crawford, Barbara Stanwyck, Marlene Dietrich, they're like, they made real good friends with whoever was the lighting guy on those movies. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, it's a great double feature. I watched it on the Criterion channel, but 
what I liked about it is it's two middle-aged women who are playing women who are still, you know, uh, are still attractive to men. They're still, you know, it's like this thing where they've got these men that are in love with them. And it's like, this is, you know, these are two middle-aged women by the time the fifties roll around and they're, yeah. and they're not playing it like a sunset Boulevard where they're, they're like, you know, it's like they're, you know, they're women who are, you know, att- they're attracted to these men. These men are attracted to them. I, I thought that was really refreshing. I thought it was really, uh, it's it was- an anomaly and whatever year it is, whether it's now or the fifties or the forties, that's an anomaly because once you get to a certain age, Hollywood was just notorious for just throwing people away. Yeah. So it's kind of cool. You're right. They're both kind of like middle-aged and they're still kind of, you know, yeah, they're playing a hundred percent, you know? Yeah. Check it out though. Uh, John, if you, I know you, you said you'd never seen it and, uh, it's from a, the beginning. It's, I've seen the last half of it, so I knew it was weird. I knew it was going to be this, the finale is just right. donezo. It's no. just wild. It's just this crazy, uh, super. Just super. You're just like, wow. These are really like. I could see these being cult movies, where people are just like, and, you know. And the thing that's crazy is, I can't. I can't think of another movie where Ernest Borgnine is not the most intimidating presence <laughs> right, in the movie. Right. right. <laughs> Like, you know, you know, it's not really, it's kind of early in his career, but usually he's the guy commanding the screen. And you're right. going, no, there's so many people beyond Joan Crawford and uh, Mercedes McCambridge. I mean, who else is in that? Sterling, Sterling Hayden's that, in that, there. Yeah. Ward Bond has a big part in it. And uh, and you just go, holy cow. It's like, you know, any other movie, Borgnine is the guy you're watching. But this is just packed with these these personalities. Yeah, you yeah if, you wanna, if you want a great little double feature and it's there two Westerns that aren't, they're, they don't. They don't always, they, they don't even feel like westerns. I mean, they take place in the old west. Mm. And then whoever designed um, uh, Joan Crawford's uh, clothes in uh, I didn't check in uh, in Johnny Guitar. It's right out of Dick Tracy. She's wearing these like primary colors. You know, mm. she's wearing like bright yellow, bright red. They at one point they need to escape, and she's wearing a white dress. And he goes you know, you're, you're going to look like a lantern out in the dark. And she goes, well, let me go change. She comes back wearing like a bright red, <laughs> like a bright red blouse. You know, you're just like, oh, okay, well. <laughs> you know, early Technicolor, sometimes they had consultants on the set just advising on the color scheme, you know? Right. And uh, that's what's funny is because you think about movies that were made at the same time, like at MGM, the color almost like puts your eyes out. It's right. so bright. Right. And the weird thing, it's so great that you're recommending this as a double feature because because these are two directors that Fritz Lang is not necessarily known for his westerns, and neither is Nicholas Ray. So it's like when they decided to do a western, it's really got a weird twist to it, right? You know? Yeah, the Fritz and Lang, Fr- yeah, Fritz Lang in uh, in Rancho Notorious. A weird thing is they decide to sing a lot of the plot. It's just a, a singer out of. It's almost like you're at on America Sings at Disneyland, and all, and then he wanted revenge, and you're like, what is going on? They're singing part of the. Uh, this is crazy. It's crazy, but check it out. I like Johnny Guitar the best of the two. Uh, I really have a new appreciation for Joan Crawford. I'm gonna have to go back and watch some like Mildred. Pierce. Boy, wait till I te- wait till I tell my brother because he's. He, I think he's seen everything she ever did, going back to the silent days. Yeah. So when I tell him that Mario, guess what, Mario, and that's the movie he's always telling me. Oh, you got to see Johnny Guitar. And somehow I always just come in on like the last hour. It's a. It's, so it's, I, still, I it's, don't know what the setup is. It, you know? It's a. It's a nutty movie. It's it's a goofy nutty. Uh, you're basically taking these, you're taking her out of these dramas she has in the forties, like Mildred Pearson, you're just putting it in a Western and she's just being Joan Crawford, like in the old West. It's crazy. It's really good. It's so weird. And then you get like uh, John Carradine's in it in a great little, he's got a great supporting role. 
Uh, mm. And yeah, it's a great it's a great cast. It, it was fun. Is he the Undertaker? No, <laughs> he's he plays he, the Undertaker. He, he plays like the ranch hand. He not the ranch hand. He plays like basically like uh, he's one of Joan Crawford. He 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 basically she runs like a casino, uh, like a hotel okay. casino, and he's like the guy that you know handles the horses and does all the mm. not a handyman, but he's kind of like her, her. You know, he runs the ranch for her. You know. So it's kind of yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's cool, man. It's great to see him, too. It's all, he's always a great presence. Uh, John Carradine's good in everything he does. So, yeah, it's and, fun. And was that, great, was, that, was that Criterion Channel for Johnny It's Criterion Channel, just, uh... but it's, it's running on Turner. I just saw it on Turner recently. It's coming up, or oh, it, might okay. have, it may have just passed. I see it pop up all the time, and I never— It's time for me to catch the first a, hour. <laughs> I'll tell you what. It's a dumb title, and it's very, like, the guitar thing— is like they they kind of address it and then they move on. So you're like, why would you name the movie Johnny Guitar? Because he's not even the, the focal reason, point. The reason I've been avoiding it is because I thought it was like a musical. I thought Johnny Guitar, this has got to be like a musical western, yeah. you know. And I had you know thoughts of like you know I thought fifties color Johnny Guitar. This is going to be some sort of crazy. You, you, you know, know, you know who sings the title track? Frankie Lane, Miss <laughs> Miss Peggy Lee. Really? Yeah, she sings it at the end. They don't wow. they don't play it till the very end. They don't play it till the that? very end. Yeah, check it out. Johnny Guitar. Uh it's fun. Jo- okay. Fun Joan Crawford romp. Uh, you know. No more uh, instead of saying no more wire hanger, she says no more violence or something. But uh, yeah, it's a great movie. Uh it's fun. It was fun. I loved it. I was like, boy, this How is about just that? Uh, I forgot what else Nicholas Ray directed. He directed something else. I well, like. he did Rebel Without a Cause. That's what it was. Oh, and, by the way, uh, John, yesterday when when I said there was a Republic picture and I couldn't believe it was, they had an A-list stars. It was Johnny Guitar. I had started it. Oh, there you go. Yeah. How about that? I was thinking like I was thinking like I know there's some John Ford westerns that were right. Republic, but there you go. Right. So that was Republic. <laughs> right. Yeah. Every once in a while they they pulled up, called in some favors, and did an A picture. I think it's like Universal. They 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 drew up their budget and said, we got enough money to do two A pictures this year. So these are going to be our prestige pictures. What you know, I loved, it, there, what I really loved about it is the, the hideout. There's a hideout that the bad guys have and it's through a waterfall. They have to go through this waterfall and it looks like something right out of Disneyland where you're, you know, there, it looks like it's so cool. I was like, man, I love this set. I really love the, I really, and it makes no sense because they just go through the waterfall and then they're like on the other side of this, it's like wow, you couldn't see that from outside. It's weird, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's a great uh, it's a great movie, man. Check it out. Check it out. All right, Jake, have you played Spider Man Two? No, I have not. You don't have looks a P- great. Looks great though. Uh, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. You don't have a PS Five, do you? No. Are I you don't. still on Starfield? Um, not really. It I kind of just. Once you start, like, once you start, once you kind of get into it, there's really not a whole lot else that that. that I feel like there's not a whole lot else to do other than you don't want to build ships on your ship, or I don't know. Yeah, it just didn't. It was, it was. I enjoyed the time I put into it, but it just didn't do it for me it long didn't, term. You know? It didn't have the longevity of like a Fallout Four or like a like a like a Skyrim. It didn't. Yeah, it didn't have. It didn't make me want to explore. You know, all these planets and stuff. Yeah, okay, that's it. interesting. Uh, a lot of people have said I've, I've heard that. I've, I've heard that Bethesda's set up to support this game for years and years, but players are saying they're not sure that they can find that much to do beyond the main story. Is Bethesda's really great at doing like curated experiences when it comes to like the Skyrim, each of the dungeons and the side quests, but it's 
this one felt a little bit more a little bit more hollow and they just wanted to have this massive open world just for just because just to have it you know i feel like if there had been more to do on some of the planets like if there had been more cities more colonies more side quests when you get there but a lot of them are just vast and empty and then it's the same thing you fight pirates or whatever there's like an mm. abandoned base you're gonna fight the pirates uh you know and I that's think- that's a huge undertaking. I wouldn't expect them to be able to fully curate right. thousands of planets, you know? Right. But this felt like there wasn't even as many as you get in, like, Skyrim. I felt like there were little towns and villages everywhere. Or in Fallout, you'd come across these little enclaves of humanity. And you you, you don't necessarily get that in. And, and you know, that's only in the Boston area, right? You're You're exploring this one area of one city and they were able to think, I think that's how space, that's how like the space travel sort of, uh, not necessarily a downfall, but didn't do Bethesda any favors because you really can't randomly bump into a group of, you know, explorer or you, I mean, you kind of can with the ships, but it's not, it's not the same effect as bumping into like a, you know, like a, band of soldiers going off to fight a battle or right what well, what i think they should, they could have done that would have that would have made it more fun and they've never done this though some type of vehicle while you're rolling around while you're on the planet while your planet side would have helped because mm-hmm. a lot of times there's such vast if you're trying to explore a planet and like scan it and completely explore it there are vast distances to cover and you're just walking and after a while it's the same the scenery is all the same and you can't you can't hop in your ship and then go fly a little bit and land somewhere else like you could in no man's sky so that's right i think it was a good effort on their part to try and break into the sci-fi genre well i mean fallout fallout's more post-apocalyptic than i would say sci-fi but it's sci-fi but, it has sci-fi elements in it yeah for a, a more like a yeah for more like the space exploration there's it's not it's not their strong suit that Spider-Man 2, though, man, they did a great job. They really integrated. I'm about to finish the last story. Really? Yeah, and uh, I kind of saved it for myself. So this weekend I'm going to finish it up. But, yeah, they do such a great job of integrating uh, Miles and Peter. And it really is more Peter's story, but mm-hmm. Miles plays a big part in it, and it's really um, Peter's story helps Miles come into his own, kind of. Right. And... Um, it would have made a great, I don't want to say movie because there's so many villains and so many, but it works in a way that if you had done it as a series, like a 10 part series, it would have been like the, the story set itself up to be great because you, you introduce vet, they introduce venom in a, in a way that makes sense. They introduce, um, they even give hints that like carnage will be making an appearance somewhere down the line. Um, but bringing in the villains in a very creative way um, and bringing in a villain that's never been in any of the movies was was a good idea. They bring in Craven the Hunter, and that kind of sets everything yeah. up. Um, they did a really good job with the writing, making fleshing out characters like MJ and Harry Osborn so that they don't just feel like window dressing. Um, and then paying, you know, you know, give give the expanded universe, you know, you, uh, not expanded, but the extended Spider-Man family, you know, like Kurt Connors 
and uh, Norman Osborne and all that. They did a really good job of integrating it and um, and giving Miles stuff to do that's, you know, Spider-Man, but at the same time, like in the last game when Peter would have to do these ridiculous tasks, that kind of falls on Miles now because he's a kid, so he's helping kids at his school on some of the side missions just do simple quests. It's really fun. Oh. It's really, really fun. And they made Spider-Man and, uh, or Peter Parker and Miles different obviously different they have different abilities so uh they did a good job of tailoring the game to that i thought that i thought it did a great job and it's the first game i've ever seen on ps5 that really feels like they're tapping into the power of the ps5 yeah i've seen gameplay it looks absolutely gorgeous and it's nice for them to pull from the not 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 necessarily the B team, but maybe like some of the lesser used villains, right. which I wish which I wish the Marvel Cinematic Universe would do instead of pulling from the logical choices. And some of them they just do, uh, you know. Some of them it's just like they they're mentioned in passing, but it's just like, oh hey, cool, you know that's great, I love it. Mm-hmm. And uh, they make Craven a really really good. He you know he's kind of ridiculous, he's kind of over the top when you see him, but they make him a real viable threat, and they give him like. Uh, good motivation to do what he's doing, and so you're just like, oh, okay. I really like that they, you know, that they 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 paid homage to the characters. They do they do the characters in a very uh, good way, and of course, you know, Spider Man is always put upon, so that's uh, that's part of the gameplay. So I really like it. So far, it's early running to be my uh, my favorite game this year. So we'll see. Uh, really? Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I'm gonna. I, I like Starfield a lot, but you know what's funny? I like Starfield less now that I went back to it after playing Spider-Man 2. I was less, you know, I was in the middle of some quests and stuff. And so what I had to do was go go back and start some quests that I kind of left behind. Mm. In So I'm like a deputy now. I'm like a free star. I'm running around. So that's kind of given me more, uh, m- a little bit more motivation to come back and play it. But yeah, I played it for, uh, let me put it to you this way. I played, I didn't play Starfield for, uh, two weeks while I was working on Spider-Man and I really didn't miss it. So I don't know what that says. Although getting back to it now, it's fun, but yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It just doesn't have, just doesn't have like the lasting impact that some of Bethesda's other games. Right. Have. We'll yeah. see. Hopefully some DLC will help it out. I mean, obviously I haven't played no man's sky in a couple of years, but I've heard that it's, it's great now. I mm-hmm. might, might want to go back and revisit that on the PS5 and check that out and re- maybe I'll just restart it. But uh well Starfield, I mean if you play on PC, the modding community just give them a couple of years and it'll be a brand it'll be like a totally different game. Right, I'm going to have to I have to get a PC. I have to get a PC for gaming. I have to get I have to get a Jake computer. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. Got to play some Steam. Jake, do you have the Steam console? Or the the Steam? Uh... No, I've been wanting I've been wanting to get it for a while, but it's I don't know, just haven't. I don't I don't know how that would work. You'd have to. We'll, we'll talk off air. I'm gonna have you walk me through all that. Sure. I sure. feel like I feel like I'm left out of that uh, that community. Uh, what was I gonna tell you guys? We had something. Oh, John, let's let's talk about that Beatles song, man. And Jake, did you did you listen to the new Beatles song? I didn't know of a new Beatles song. It's the one we mentioned a few months ago where they were going to use AI to flesh it out. They had to do Peter Jackson. Uh, they had the help of Peter Jackson. What is the name of the song, John? It's called uh, Now and Then. And uh, what did you think? 
Well, um, you know, it's not mind-blowing. Uh, it helps if you know the origins. This He had a couple demos. It's It started off, it's a cassette tape, a little cassette tape from the late 70s. He's got the cassette player on top of his uh, piano in, at home, and he's just doing demos on this little cassette player and just trying out song ideas, him and the piano. When they did the anthology thing uh, back in the 90s, uh, they, you know, they were reuniting and talking and stuff. And they said, do we have any songs we can do? Yoko gave the other three Beatles uh, three little demos and they were all sort of like lo-fi. And uh, they said, wouldn't it be fun if we could kind of play, clean it up a little, play over top of it. And then it would be like all three of us. They said, let's just like pretend John's on vacation. <laughs> we have to like, get our heads in the right space for this. Pretend he's on vacation and he wants us to finish the song for him. Because really it's just him on vocals and a, and a piano. And the two for anthology back in the 90s didn't sound bad. One was called Free as a Bird. The other one was called Real Love. And they didn't sound bad. Jeff Lynn did the production. With what technology they had in the 90s, they tried to clean up the tape, push his vocals toward the top. And then they all came up with new stuff. Ringo did new drums. George did a guitar part. Uh, Paul played bass and sang harmonies. And the, it sounded pretty good. The finished product wasn't too bad. And then they did one called Real Love. And then there was a third one called Now and Then, and they, it was so unfinished, they didn't think they could do it justice. They just could not clean up the sound. It, uh, you know. So what happened was uh, McCartney's been pushing for them to finish it. He says the technology now, uh, with what they did with um, Peter Jackson, did this stuff for the Get Back movie where they took the Let It Be tapes and uh, they were able to clean it up. And um, I guess they used AI on some of it. And uh, so he said, maybe we could do this with now and then where we could sub. what it was is people got kind of uh, scared. They said, oh, my God, are you going to tell A.I. to sing like John Lennon? They said, no, 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 no. We're just going to use A.I. to separate his voice from the piano, because the, the part of the problem with the demo tape is you can't always make out his voice because the piano is right there under the cassette player. So they said, A.I. can we can tr Tell it to separate the vocals from the piano, push his vocals further up in the mix. Now we can play behind him and around him like we couldn't in the 90s. We just couldn't clean it up to where we could release it, you know. And so anyway, this is kind of a long explanation, but that's what they did. So they just released it about a week ago. And, you know, it's it's nice to hear all three of them again. It's a nice little melody. It's not it's not groundbreaking or mind blowing, but it's a nice little haunting melody and john's voice is always great and now it's pushed up in the mix and paul added some uh some bass and some harmonies and they still had some guitar from george you know george is no longer with us but they still had some guitar from when he was they were trying to work on it back in the 90s you know Hmm. But that was a little tough to push up in the mix. So Paul said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to play some lead guitar, but I'm going to do it exactly like George would. He says, I know what he played on this. And I also know the way George thought when he played guitar, just from being in, you know, working with him for 10 years, you know? And so he does this great sort of homage. He's kind of playing guitar in the George style. Oh, so nice. um, it kind of sweetens it. And then Ringo just, you know, Ringo's always great because all he has to do is hear it once and he knows exactly what to do. Uh, you know, when the Beatles broke up, they said, they all said the same thing. What we miss is that Ringo knew exactly when to come in and when to sort of back off. He's not trying to be Keith Moon or John Bonham. He knew exactly how to play what was just right for that particular song. So, sure. um, 
long story short, it's out, and some people dig it, and some people said, well, you should have just left it in the vault. But they're billing it as the last Beatles song. They said, there's nothing else in the vault that we can finish, which is part of the reason Paul wanted to do it. He said, well, we're all still, well, Ringo and I are still alive. Let's finish this thing that we couldn't finish in the 90s, you know. And so they're, you know, they're, they're billing it as, oh, it's the last Beatles song. But that's a hell of a lot. That's a hell of a thing to live up to. You know, all the, the press is, buy it tomorrow. It's the last Beatles song. And then, you know, you hear it, and it's this nice little innocuous, unassuming song. But it does have a very beautiful, haunting melody. So it's kind of it's nice. It's kind of nice to have it, you know. Sure. What did you, uh, what would you say, uh, where would you put it in the, uh, in your in your pantheon of Beatles, is it in the, the top, well, the middle, it, or the or the bottom? It's the middle. You know what? It, it, I'll tell you what it is. It belongs with the other two. Free as a bird and real love. I think the British press were kind of tongue in cheek. They called it the Threedles, <laughs> where they put those out with the anthology. They said, "Okay, it isn't exactly the Beatles. We'll call it the Threedles." You know, they're kind right. of being funny, right? And uh, that's where I would put it. It's not really. These are because you know, these are things that John wrote and and demoed after the Beatles broke up. Sure, so they don't quite fit into the Beatles. Um, you know, it's the Beatles, but it's it's post Beatles Beatles. It's it's a curiosity. So I would say it belongs with the other the other two, and it's somewhere in the middle. I always thought "Free as a Bird" was a pretty strong song. It was the one that was the most finished, the one that they did the most with. And I always thought that wasn't bad. It sounds a lot like it sounds a little like ELO because it's Jeff Lynn producing, you know. Right. Um, Jeff Lynn's a huge Beatle fan, but everything ends up sort of sounding like it's filtered through ELO, you know. Right. Even when he when he produced Tom Petty or the Traveling Wilburys, you always feel like this is great, but it's got that sort of like ELO vibe, which doesn't bother me. I love ELO. And John Lennon used to say that he considered ELO to be, he liked them. He said, you know what? They're kind of like son of the Beatles. You know, he says, when I hear something on the radio, like evil woman or strange magic, I go, oh yeah, this is kind of like son of, I am the walrus. Maybe that's why I never had a huge affinity for ELO. Probably. Maybe that's where it comes from. Right, because he makes no bones about it. He said, I want to sound like mid-period Beatles. His favorite period, I think, was Strawberry Fields, Sgt. Pepper, Day in the Life. And he said, uh, he made no, you know, no apologies. He says, my idea for ELO was to take that sort of Sgt. Pepper vibe and run with it, with the strings. Because that's when the Beatles started really employing strings and orchestras. And he says, I'm going to take this to the next logical conclusion. So people like Lennon said, oh, yeah, this is kind of like he's kind of picking up the torch and running with it. He kind of was amused. He said, oh, that's interesting. This is like, (laughs) you know, Beatles Mach 2 or something, you know. Hmm. What about uh, so there you have it. what's the what's the song that I don't like? Uh, it's in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. All of them. <laughs> what's the one I really don't like? Uh, uh, it's it's in Gar- <laughs> it's in Guardians too. It's the it's the credit. What is oh, it? Uh, Mr. Blue. Oh, yeah. God. Well, here's the problem with that for me. It's overused. They've already used that in a couple movies. The first time somebody used that in a movie, I thought, oh, that's kind of clever. By the time Guardians came out, I went, gee, I think this is like the third or fourth time somebody's used this in a movie. It's no longer, it's, it doesn't even work as a novelty anymore. Right. You know? Well, you know, cut to me, me complaining about that, then cut to uh, sabotage being used again and me going, fuck yeah. Um, so, you know. That gets used a lot. Commercials. He, and, uh, he who is without trailers. he who is without opinions <laughs> cast the first stone. Uh, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you love the Beastie Boys. You're just like me. You're like, okay, I don't like that. This is the tenth time I'm hearing sabotage to sell a pizza, but I like sabotage. You right, know? right. 
<laughs> what the hell, you know? Right, John. See, John, you 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 get me. You get me. I get you. Yeah. Uh, listen, man. I was going to ask you guys something else. I forgot about. Uh, there's something coming up. It's gonna it's gonna bug me. But uh, what we're going to do is we're going to slip into this week's movie, uh, which was Galaxy Quest. Jake, had you ever seen this movie? I have seen this movie. Oh, you okay. have? Oh, yeah. Perfect. All right. Tell us about it. Released December 25th, 1999. I can't believe it's that old. By Dean Pariseau. That's how you say it, Pariseau? Sure. Sure, why not? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yep, stars of a 1970s sci-fi show, now scraping a living through reruns and sci-fi conventions, are beamed aboard an alien spacecraft, believing this cast's heroic on-screen drama are historical documents of real-life adventures. The band of aliens turn to the... Um, was it uh, alien celebrities for the help in their quest to overcome the oppressive regime in their solar system? Now, with a budget of forty-five million dollars, how much do you guys think it made? This is a big hit. I remember. I'm going to say a hundred million. Done. I know the answer to this, so I'm not going to play. <laughs> Oh, I was pretty close, Mario, with a total box office of $90.7 million. Nice. So it doubled. It, it doubled its uh, its budget. Uh, okay, let's see what Leonard Malton had to say. You guys ready? See if you can guess. Sure. Uh, sure. By the way, uh, Johnny Guitar, three and a half stars from uh, Leonard Malton. I just looked it up. I think Rotten Tomatoes gave Galaxy Quest like 90% because it's gained in popularity as the years have passed. It wasn't... You know, it was a hit, but it's gotten even bigger as the years have, have passed. Yeah, 7.4 IMDb, 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. All right, here we go. 1999, Galaxy Quest. Engaging comedy about the washed-up cast of a Star Trek-like TV show now reduced to making personal appearances at fan conventions. Suddenly, they're whisked off to a starship where an alien civilization, believing their television adventures to be real, seeks their help to save... The Aliens from Oblivion. By Grab Thar's Hammer, it's clever, funny, and sweet. <laughs> what, do, what do you think uh, Leonard Malton gave it, uh, John? His top rating is four? Yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say he gave it a four. Uh, Jake, what do you say? I'll say he gave it a three and a half. Gave it a three. Gave it a three. A three. Okay. Gave it a three. But that's for Leonard I'm Malton. Sure he, for Leonard Malton, that's, that's strong. That's yeah, the, that is strong. Yeah, I'm sure he's think. I know that he's thinking it ain't Casablanca, so yeah, not a four, but uh, but it's fun. Yeah, you know, I didn't see That's this. Cool. I somehow did not see this in the theater. Yeah. Uh, I saw it much later. Um, I knew it what it like was, it was written for you. I, yeah, I knew what it was parodying. I knew the whole thing. It was there was no reason for me to skip it, and for some reason, I never saw it in the theater. I don't know what was going on, but I was busy and I didn't catch it. But it, what the one thing that struck me watching it now is I forgot how long Sam Rockwell's been around. Uh, he's he's been around for a long time. He has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He really has. Right. Yeah. And, and, and I think uh, I think I've read that at about that time he was thinking, "Gee, I've done a lot of comedies. Maybe it's time to do a drama." But when he read the script, he said, "I can't miss out on this. You <laughs> know, this is too good." I just saw him in a preview for something where he plays. It's one of those things where, like, uh, like kind of romancing the stone, where like a book comes to life. Oh yeah! I just right. saw him in a preview for that. I forgot what it's called. It's, um, but it's also got Henry Cavill in it. 
and it's the guy that did Kingsman, right? Is it right. Like the director of the right. writer? Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I just yeah. Saw him. You know, Sam Rockwell is kind of under the radar, but I'll go see a movie just because Sam Rockwell's in it. He's d- he's done some really good stuff, and he's a, he's a, he's a guy that always does in the tradition of all the great character actors. He can he can slip into a lead once in a while. A lot of times he ends up playing the villain or just some unlikable asshole, and he always yeah. he always kills it. He always kills it. I was thinking, wasn't he a bad guy in one of the early Iron Man movies? Yeah, he was. Uh, was he, just- he was. Yeah, he was. What's his name? He was the weapons. The the like the the, uh, the rival weapons dealer. Is that the first one or is it's that Iron Man one? Two? Iron Man Two. Okay. Yeah, I thought even that that could have been just like I'm walking through it, and he just completely committed to that. You right. Know? Right. <laughs> He's even good at like he's like in he he shows up for like five minutes in Cowboys and Aliens and you're like wow he's really he's really working his, he's really working it he's doing his Sam yeah. Rockwell magic he was also the bad guy in, I think the first Charlie's Angels with uh, oh yeah with right. Cameron Diaz and uh, Lucy Liu, <laughs> yeah, and, Lucy Liu. and Drew Barrymore uh, uh, that first one was fun I like that first one I, I don't care what anyone it was says. it was fun it was and f- I love Lucy Liu what, why doesn't Lucy Liu make movies anymore because she was Bill. she did twenty years of uh, Elementary she was on that oh. show Elementary forever so that lasted I didn't know that that just kept on going yeah I think it was like seven okay. years or so, seven something like oh, that that's it, great. it ran a long time I yeah. Mean, that's really cool. I was under the impression that did, that wasn't around very long. No, she she it was on for a while. It was on for a. Few and was she seasons. playing Watson? She was playing the Doctor Watson role. I never watched an episode of it, but uh, I have a real problem with uh, with uh, network shows. The, the just the way they're oh, yeah. just the way they're done. Oh, yeah. Not to sound like a snob, right? Since I've already shit on people who love Monty Python unironically and unabashedly and just love it and want to have fun with it, I shit all over those people. I shit all over Beatles you know, Mario, fans. Yeah. I have to watch it. I have to watch it just like you because I, sometimes I find myself. I'm like, why am I casting a stone? This is me, right? <laughs> you know? I, I don't understand my. I don't understand myself. I get mad at myself, going, "Don't be an asshole." But also at the same time, don't quote those lines to me. You're doing it wrong. <laughs> Yeah. Well, what it what it what it tells me is, you know, a physician heal thyself. You right, know, right. I, I try to catch myself the next time I want to quote, you know, the uh, right, you know, the animator keeling over at the drawing board. It's like, no, no, no. What tells me is goose stepping morons like you should try reading books <laughs> exactly. instead of burning. Exactly. Anyway, Jake, when were you first uh, exposed, for lack of a better word, to uh, Galaxy Quest? God, I don't remember specifically. It was when I was a kid. It was, I think, it was on TV, and ended up watching it and really enjoyed it. Um, a really great cast. Yes, I, we're watching it now. My, oh my God, Sigourney Weaver. We got Alan, Alan Rickman, and um, Rain Wilson. Even right, I didn't know. I didn't know he was in this movie, and I looked I'm like, is that right? Yeah, very small role, very small mm-hmm. role, but he's in there. Yeah, but yeah, it's just, it's just a lot of. It's a lot of fun and is yeah has a lot of heart. You can definitely tell the writers uh, had a love for Star Trek when you're watching this movie. Yeah, you know what's great is it kind of it, it parodies Star Trek, but at the same time you can tell they in, love Star Trek. They're, they're yeah, not, in a very loving way, not in like a mean, not in a yeah, not in a mean way. Yeah. What does Mel Brooks always say? The best parodies come from a place of love. 
He says, a mean, this was not a mean-spirited film. And he says, the best parodies come from you loving the thing that you're sending up. You right. know it inside out, and you find all the things you love about it. So right. that's where this could, this could have gone off the rails if it was somebody making fun of it, right. you know, for the sake of being mean-spirited, you know. And Jake, when you brought up the cast, I, you, people forget that Sigourney Weaver can do comedy and be funny. Oh, my uh, gosh. She's, whole, she's absolutely hilarious. She's, she's, she's really good. Um, you know, cause you, you get her in stuff like aliens and stuff like that. And, and you know, you're like, oh yeah, she's kind of a badass. But then you watch her in something like this or you're watching something like working girl, mm-hmm. which we didn't watch. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh my God, she's totally, I hate this woman. Right. But she can play all these different roles. And then she just plays this, like this total airhead. And you're like, oh, this is great. She, she can really pull it off. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's um, that's, that's acting, and the fact <laughs> that's that great acting, and the fact that she's game to do an an ensemble piece, really, where she doesn't have to be the star, also yeah. tells you a lot about you know where she where she's coming from as an as an actress. So I thought that was really great that because she's really easily probably the biggest name in the cast at this point, right? Uh, Ninety nine, yeah, I think so. Right, um, she's Tim, done. You Tim know, Allen has like a lot of smaller roles, sure. And like, and hey, you know what? Tim Allen, movies, uh, you know, or big roles in family. Tim movies. Allen, politics aside, or whatever you think of him now, uh, was great. Uh, you know, guy with like he was so good in the in the role. You know, and it's 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 you're, it, tone. Yeah, he had the right. Yeah, the right. You're right, Johnny. Just hit the, the perfect notes. Yeah, right. And when he needs to be emotional and needs to be, you know, he sells it. He's he's a good enough actor. You forget. You're like, oh, this guy can. Tim Allen can actually act. You know. Yeah. It's true. And uh, Tony Shalhoub is so good. I love that he's just, yeah. I love that he's just, he just loves every minute of it. He's just like. He's just going, he's just going. <laughs> yeah. like, this is, this is my life now. This yeah. Awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah. Everybody's really good. Everybody's so good in the cast. And uh, I love that they have the kid, you know, like, you know, the, obviously the Will Wheaton character. It's a send up of, of not just Star, the original Star Trek, but the next generation. Uh, <laughs> right. Although Tim Allen is more Captain Kirk when he's doing the rolls, he's doing the rolling behind the uh, that part always cracks me up when he does the ducking behind the rocks. You know, what does he say? Alan Rickman goes, "Does that help?" Oh, <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> Let's not forget Alan Rickman, uh, another Oof. another great actor at the time. Right, really, yeah. really tees up a lot of um, a lot of Tim Allen's bits. Really, right, just, a yeah. great straight man, really good mm-hmm. straight man. John, what's your favorite? Uh, What's your favorite line in the movie? Oh, everyone's favorite line from him is that by grab Thar's hammer, you know. What, what does he say? Uh, Value. What values. <laughs> and he's got this great pregnant pause. It's worthy of John Cleese. He does this pregnant pause. He can barely he can barely spit it out. He's all by grab Thar's hammer. What value? <laughs> great pregnant pause, you know. And at the same time, it breaks your heart when he really—he's so sick of that line. And when mm-hmm. the guy's dying in his arms, when the alien's dying in his arms, and says, "You were like a father to me," it almost makes you tear up because he says it, and he really says it with conviction. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. this is the first time I've ever said it that I meant it. You know, you will be avenged. You know, right? Um, and God, and how he's fighting the aliens and his fucking his Pete like his. Uh... His prosthetic head piece is just like ripping, and his hair sticking out. It's he uh, he really does be, and you know, people will argue, well, Alan Rickman's in it, but at the time, I feel like Sigourney Weaver was still on a on a really big high. Although mm-hmm. Alan Rickman, we knew him from Die Hard, but his time would I come with his time would come with Snape. 
I got to tell you, uh, since you're mentioning about Sigourney Weaver, uh, she lobbied for this role. She loved doing comedy, but she hadn't done a lot of it. I think she'd probably done Ghostbusters before this, but she was kind of a straight man to Bill Murray. And um, I don't know where this falls, if this is before or after Working Girl, but she liked doing comedy, but she didn't usually, they usually wanted her to play some version of Ripley or something deadly serious like, uh, you know, Year of Living Dangerously or something. She wanted to do more comedy. And, uh, so she lobbied for this, you know, uh, and uh, she got it. And she just, she said she knew this character. She goes, being a woman in Hollywood, I know what this character is going through. They just want you to wear the push-up bra and put on the wig and be the, the babe, you know, especially in action films. You right. Know? <laughs> and so she, she did. came off she of uh, Alien Resurrection uh, a couple there you of years go. before. And then, yeah, this is after. Working Girls 89, this is 90. Yeah, yeah, this is 88. Working yeah. Girls, yeah. Yeah. But she's so funny in this. You go, you kind of go, God, I wish you would do more comedies because she's so fucking funny because it all comes from the character. The thing where they're getting through the chopper and she's all, this is the worst. The person that wrote this should just be, mm. should mm. die. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I love that whole rant where she goes, there's right? no reason the for ship. this to be here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's absolutely no reason for us to have to walk through this. This is dumb. You know, screw that. You know? Or the countdown, how it stop, how it stops on one. And they're like, oh. Yeah, it never did go past one in the show. <laughs> she's so funny. She's holding her own with Tim Allen and Alan Rickman. She's totally holding her own on the comedy. Yeah. And uh, the story is, she loved. She said she felt so different putting on that blonde wig and the, uh, you know, whatever they put in her, you know, the, the razor bust up. She said they, the crew said she started. She got such a kick out of it. She was behaving differently. <laughs> on the on the set, she found that she, you know, and she was acting differently just by virtue of the wig, even you know. That's and then funny. I think when it was when they were done filming, she just took the wig home. She said, "I'm I'm taking the wig." <laughs> That's you know? hilarious. She, she, she had a, a she had a she had a blonde awakening. Watch <laughs> being. Well, she, she, I think I mean she. You know what I mean? She wasn't delusional, but she just loved how she wasn't even expecting it. She said, "I'm just behaving differently. I guess blondes do somehow. It puts a spin on your whole. Because everyone's looking at you differently when you're a blonde, you know." Mm-hmm. <laughs> And they said that she would even like uh, after they were done shooting, she'd just wear it back to the hotel. She just said, "This is just too cool. I'm leaving it on." You know, that's so funny. Uh, yeah, I really, I really so. was watching it again after a while. It's been a long time since I'd seen it, but she really stuck out to me as uh, she looked like she was just yeah. having a great time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you can't imagine anyone else doing it, right? You know? And uh, it's great. You know, th- this thing went through a couple different hands. It was going to be a Harold Ramis directing it. And uh, and also it was going to be like they were playing with maybe like um, Alec Baldwin maybe in the Tim Allen part. And you realize all the things that fell into place, it, it was for the best. I think Tim Allen was the best guy that could have been right. the lead in this, you know, just smarmy enough. And like you said, he still handles the acting, the drama stuff. He handles fine. Right. And uh, it couldn't have been better cast. But you wonder about if, if Harold Ramis had stuck with it. There was a change. People, they had gone through a couple different hands as far as writers and directors. And it seems like it landed right where it needed to. Because the director says, I know exactly what I'm going to do with this. I'm going to produce this like it's another Star Trek movie. I considered this like the seventh Star Trek movie. It's got to be that solid and, and no, you know... Uh, you know everything sort of like on the money you know tim allen is like the is like william shatner was more fam- of a family man and less kind of yeah yeah yeah. Less yeah 
Uh, but the thing about, uh, about the thing about the cast, but you know that whole thing that that's the Shatner thing where the cast is kind of like a lot of the cast doesn't like him because it's just e- such an egomaniac. Yeah. <laughs> that's definitely Shatner <laughs> for sure. Where some of the some of the other actors were like, oh, this guy, you know. <laughs> I love it, but I did love that but he. I love that his character uh, embraced. What makes him likable is that he embraces. Unlike Shatner, he embraces the role of being captain. He loves being. He loves the fact that, 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 that the crowd that loves him. You know, he loves the... Oh, he eats it up, I, I feel like Shatner always kept everybody at, at arm's length, you know? At the convention, they look over at him and she goes, I got to hand it to him. He really loves it. He really loves the fans, you know? Yeah, he does. He really loves doing it, you know? Right. I but love the way... That's the point of obsession when he's just, like, watching. He's, like, washed up and he just keeps watching and remembering and <laughs> right. reminiscing about his... High, yeah. Gives him that... Gives him that you know, 15 minutes of fame that he can't get back. You know? I love that he's got the mullet in the early show. He's got that 70s mm-hmm. mullet. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they, they did a great job nailing. And even when they go, even the stuff they do on the planet with the little creatures, those little baby creatures, that's hilarious. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. And the, rock. the rock monster. Yeah, he's hiding. The, he's fighting the rock monster. And uh, they're, they're naming all the plot points at him. Can you find, can you make a weapon from uh, from your resources? And they're, they're going through the plots of like every Star Trek episode. Who is the um, Sam Rockwell guy when he's like, uh, what is it when Sigourney Weaver's like wanting to go up and say, I was like, no, you've seen them show. Like, yeah. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> Haven't you am seen? Am I the guy that gets it because I stay behind or am I the guy that gets it because I go on the planet? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, I don't have a last name. And she's all, sure you do. What is it? I, uh, I don't have a last name. I'm going to die. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Yeah. Ensign expendable. Yeah. Right. Sam- you know what she said? She 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 caught something I didn't even realize. The second time I watched, when I watched it this time, I thought about this. She said, "If you watch this, it's almost like Wizard of Oz. We all sort of like draw traits from the characters we're playing. Like mm-hmm. I have to finally, like the engineer finally has to behave like an engineer, and the guy flying the spaceship has to kind of just be that guy. And and definitely Tim Allen, you know, he has to have like he's the leader. He has to kind of like rally them. There's so many scenes where he's all, come on, I know you can do it. You know, great, great job. You know, and yeah. he has to kind of become the captain. You know, right." And and also, what a great little, I love the scene where he has to, you know, they do the switch with the communicators and you kind of forget about it. And then they have to call on the nerds to like, <laughs> look, we're, we're, you know, like the nerds have to come in and bail them out, you know, and they have, it's just encyclopedic knowledge. And that's, and, the, uh, and that's a nod to the super fans. Yeah. Right and that's there. a nod to the mm-hmm. fans too. I love that. Mm-hmm. And that's, I've heard that that's why, uh, fans of this movie they they said you know they treated us right you know they got the absurdity of it they, <laughs> yeah. they say the, the the trekkies love this movie because they uh they say they really got us right we love we you know we have all this crazy knowledge but we just love the show and so they said it wasn't mean spirited i think there was some sort of uh there was some sort of poll where the the trek fans voted this i think they voted it like seventh best star trek movie <laughs> that's <laughs> funny that's hilarious that's so funny. I I love the scene where they kind of parody uh, the Star Trek movies where they're leaving space dock and he does that whole thing where he runs it into the side of the where they scrape against. <laughs> it's like somebody keyed the side of the, the space. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's like it's but it's like it, it we always talk about that in in the Star Trek the motion picture it's that 20 minute sequence of all these money shots of the Enterprise because it was the first time it was on the big screen. But watching it now, you're like, we get it. We get it. It's the Enterprise. 
I got it. <laughs> yeah. Enterprise got it. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Beam beam up the. Uh, it turned inside out. The little pig monster. Oh God! What a great scene. Where he's all, I hear you. I hear what you said. Inside <laughs> out and <laughs> and exploding. <laughs> like I heard that. I don't want to do it. I'd rather stay here with the rock monster. You know? What a great. It was. I love. I do love this movie. It's a great parody and. Uh, Obviously, great love for the uh, source material. Uh, lots of, if you're a Star Trek fan, you'll catch a lot of it. Uh, but yeah, great cast, a great uh, ensemble cast. Everybody's funny. Everybody has their moment to shine, like John said. Uh, who is your favorite character, Jake? Uh, oh, God. I think I really like Alan Rickman's character. Yeah. Just, so God, fed, so just so fed up with it. And even 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 in the face of everything becoming real, he's just oh, we have to do this really. And then he finally. He I love finally how petty he is, it. though. Too, he's also still petty. So he's mm-hmm. like trying to rub Tim Allen's face in it every turn, even when they're in danger. And you yeah. realize he's still trying to take. Uh, he's, he's still trying he to. Says, I, uh, it's all. He says it's always about you, isn't it? It's always about you. <laughs> I see. I see you manage to take your shirt off. You know. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like. <laughs> Right, beautiful. Even when the aliens have him, he's like, oh, he made it all about him again. He's not even worried about him. He's like, oh, yeah. I love it. Yeah. So disdainful. I love the whole thing at the beginning. Where it's all, I did Richard III, and they're like, yes, we've, we know, we know. You know, it's so just disdain is the word. It's not an you actor. Know, the, he's an actor. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. uh, there's even a sign where there's, there's a scene where he goes, see, this is all, this is always what was the problem was. You don't do the work, you know, the acting work, you know, he's all, right. just shrugs something off. He says, see, you're always lazy. You never did the work. You know? <laughs> he took, he took the role serious. I wonder, yeah. I wonder what the original Trek cast thought about this movie. They had to know. I have heard that they dug it. I've heard that they dug it. I, I didn't get. I didn't see the specifics. I read that the, the the fans really love it, but I've heard that some people involved. I don't know about the cast, but I've heard that people involved with Trek thought it was it was right on the money. You know, <laughs> that's yeah. And you'd think that they would. Somebody like DeForest Kelly or or uh, you know uh, any of those guys. You know, you'd think that yeah, this has got to ring true to all those guys. You know. Um, apparently, both Shatner and Nimoy uh, loved the movie and thought it was right. Well, there you go. You know, you'd be kind of disappointed if they didn't love it because it's so, it comes, it's so, it's not mean spirited and it just, it sort of nails all the beats, you know? The rolling. That's still my favorite. The rolling. And yeah. the great thing is, Tim, what Tim Allen didn't do, they were, they're not doing impressions of the people on Star Trek. They're not, it's not no. a, it's not a no. one for one. Uh, it's not a one for no. one. No. Uh, it's just, that wouldn't have worked. Right. No, they're the I, characters I, they're inspired by, but right. it's still kind of their own thing. Which I'm is sure nice. somebody said, "Don't do Shatner." Like on the first day, just don't, re, you know, don't, you know, do, resist the temptation to just all, you know, full out do Shatner, like a mm. Kevin Pollock impression or something. Right. Yeah. Love it. All right, let's rank it. Galaxy Quest. Oh, Jake's gone. Bye, Jake. We'll never know what Jake knows. Oh, the John, world will never know. John, you know what's crazy is when Jake dropped off, you, your screen opened up into like wide, wide screen. So I can see that window. You got a nice window there. You got some beautiful light. Oh, there's Jake. He's mm. back. Ah. Jake, what do you rank uh, Galaxy Quest, man? Uh, I give it eight and a half. 8.5. Wow. Great mm-hmm. score. John, what do you give it uh, Galaxy Quest then? I give it a 9.5, and I don't even know why I'm not giving it a 10. It's a perfect comedy with 
one there's not a bad there's not a bum note in the whole movie there's not a bad there's not a moment that misses in the whole movie so i 9.5 for sure all right i'm gonna give it an eight an eight eight ocho great i like this better every time i see it i watch it about once a year and every time i see it i like it even better so it's yeah probably the last time i saw this it was an eight and when i watched it last night i'm all no this is getting closer to a 10 all the time uh i believe um what is the date today Today is the ninth. Okay, I believe two Thursdays from now is Thanksgiving. Yes. Okay, so we may have to we have to make an arrangement. Maybe we'll. Oh, you know what? I would. I'm going to send out a thing the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. If everyone's available, we'll probably record then. If everyone's okay, can, if everyone can be available the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Okay. And Remind us on the text. I will. And here's why: we're also going to. If you can't make it, it's okay, Jake. We'll figure it out. But. What we're gonna do is we're gonna rec- we're gonna rec- record a special family episode. Of, uh, we're doing a family movie. Well, it's not a family movie, but it's a movie about families. Mm-hmm. Just in time for Thanksgiving, it's about togetherness and family. It's called Next Friday. It's called Godfather. Next Friday, <laughs> with uh, Mr. Ice Cube, and uh, it's we're gonna start that. And so that's gonna be two weeks from. It's gonna be the Wednesday before. So I'll I'll put that out in the in the in the in the group message, but. Uh, Next Friday, get excited because that I think that closes out our nineties. I think that closes out the nineties. So we'll officially be, in the two thousands, we'll be moving into the two thousands uh, starting in December. Wow! So we may have to stop and do maybe a Christmas movie here or there. We'll see what we do. We'll we'll do something special for Christmas. You know what's scary is you go, oh, we're in the two thousands now. The year two thousand is twenty three years ago. Right, <laughs> right. Like, so. When I talk to kids, and it's like for the, that's old, that's golden oldies. If I'm talking about a movie from 2001, those are golden oldies. You know, that, that's like the 60s to me when I was growing up in the 80s. The what? That's like the 60s to me when I was growing up in the 80s. Mm, ancient history. Yeah. yeah, I'd be like, oh, this is this. Uh, oh yeah, you're you're talking about uh, let's you know something from like early 2000s. Oh yeah, that's uh, that's like uh, you know I don't know, pick a movie from 2001. And it would yeah. be like it would be like cool hand Luke to me when I was like in high school. That's crazy. Right. Right. Yeah. And for an older person, it's weird to get your head around that. You know, that you mentioned Nirvana and you might as well be saying Al Jolson. You know, they're like, What? Oh, the you know mean the kid in the pool with the dollar? Yeah, okay. I always I always yeah. think I always trip out when I think of my parents and I would you know, they would talk about like Buddy Holly or Elvis or something like that. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that's like the uh, Beastie Boys were to me. That's what's nuts. <laughs> That's what's crazy to me when I think about it that way. It's like, oh yeah, this is uh, this is thirty years ago now. Yeah, forty. Yeah, crazy, crazy. Uh, I know. Time Very marches nuts. on. Great song by Louis Jordan. Time marches on. Time is marches a, on. The old get the old get cold. What? That's I, I, I don't think I've heard. I don't think I've heard that one. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a Louis Jordan, and they're kind of doing like an island. It's a, like an island rhythm. Ah, the old get cold and the cold. I forgot how it goes. Time wow. marches. Sounds like a, sounds like a blues. Uh, man. Okay, what a great show this week. We talked a little bit. We talked about the Beatles. We talked about Gojira. We talked about uh, Nicholas Ray. By the way, uh, I was reading. I told you that uh, 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 Leonard Malton gave that the Johnny guitar uh, four stars. He oh, also did he? he also described yeah. it as a kink fest. 
<laughs> or the the kinkiest western is what he called it. So make sure you watch it. Yeah. Oh, there's definitely there's definitely some repressed issues with uh, with Mercedes McCambridge character. There's some there's some repression there. So we'll uh, when you think about Nicholas Ray movies, right? When you think about something like like uh, what is it in a in a lonely place, right? Or uh, Rebel Without a Cause, he tends to do dark places in the human soul you know so yeah whenever i see pictures of johnny guitar i go i'm sure he went to some dark places with you yeah, you watch it it's a it's a mind it's it's, it's a trip it's fun uh All anyway right. well hey we'll be back in a couple of weeks uh happy if we, we don't no i'm not gonna say happy thanksgiving we'll talk to you guys before thanksgiving but uh john uh uh, J- uh and patrick is john i almost said oh patrick there you are wow he's not even here john and jake are Ready to just wish you a happy day. Jake has to go to work, so we're gonna. You got to go to work today, Jake. I gotta. Yep, I do. That was a that was a twisteroo. He he was calling me Patrick. (laughs) Jake and Jake. Usually it's usually he gets Jake and Patrick mixed up. Jake and John and Patrick and Justine. Are you sure you're really scared? And Brent. I don't know. I'm tired. My first day off in weeks. It's my first day off in weeks, but it was great. To, it was great to see you guys and have a great uh, guys. We'll see you in a couple of weeks again. Thank you for your patience these last couple of weeks. It's been things have been. Uh, uh, it's it's kind of we're just trying to get the show in anytime we can because we want to keep doing it. It's a lot of fun. So just bear with us till we get back on a regular schedule. But for now, it's every two weeks, and we will see you again in a couple of weeks for Jake, for John, for myself. We say this transmission ends now. 